Good morning, Church. Uh, my name is Timin, and I'm really thankful to be here to be part of the OCC community. Uh, let's turn to page 11. Today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all these authority and, the, and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He, shall com he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. for reading for us so well today. Uh, here we are in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. It's the last in our message in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, next week is Easter Sunday. After that, we're beginning a topical series on deacons. And then we'll come back again to Luke next year. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we seek to understand God's word this morning? Father, we thank you that this is your word. We pray that as we come to your word, that you would come and meet us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And friends, uh, the passage today is talking about overcoming temptation. I was thinking to myself, if you're a non-Christian or not a religious person and someone invited you and you're sitting here, this might seem like a message that's not really relevant. You don't kind of think in those kind of categories. You know, why should I overcome temptation? So you might not be interested in overcoming temptation, but this is something that you might be interested in, and that is controlling your impulses. Impulse control uh, is associated with mental, emotional, and physical maturity. In fact, the more developed your brain is, the more you're able to control your impulses. We, generally speaking, associate maturity with impulse control. Did you realize, friends, that the better you are able to control your impulses, the more control you actually have over your life? When you simply give in to your impulses or you give in to temptation, that religious term, you're actually giving away a part of your freedom. Uh, Tim Denning, he's a writer for CNBC and the Business Insider, he said this, as human beings, we are primed to be attracted to a smorgasbord of temptations. My own fine dining menu of temptations includes social media, junk food, computer games, and alcohol. We can't avoid temptation. But each time you avoid it, you win a small piece of your life back. Beating temptation builds discipline and frees up time to do that which your heart truly desires. You see what he's saying? When you simply give in to temptation, you simply give in to your impulses, you're actually ceding a part of your freedom away. But when you learn to control those impulses and when you learn to overcome temptation, you're actually claiming back some control over your life. You're actually learning to live truly free. 
So friends, overcoming temptation might be just more relevant than you think. Now look here in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, we have an account of Jesus overcoming temptation. Now a very typical way of taking this passage is to look at Jesus as an example. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if I need to overcome temptation. Jesus used the Holy Scriptures in overcoming temptation. I need to use the Holy Scriptures in overcoming temptation. Now, friends, those are good and useful lessons which we must learn, but I want to submit to you that that simply is not the point of this text. The text here doesn't just present Jesus as an example for us to follow. The text here presents Jesus as a savior and as a substitute who overcame temptation on behalf of those who simply could not overcome temptation. Now, why do I say that? Two reasons. Number one, remember how the text last week ended in the genealogy of Jesus. It ended with Luke 3.38, the son of Adam, the son of God. If you know your Bibles, you know that Adam was the first human being created. In the Garden of Eden, he was tempted by Satan and he gave in. He succumbed to the temptations in the Garden. Now, Jesus is the son of God, the second Adam. And this instance of him overcoming temptation is placed side by side with Adam's name. And so what we're meant to do in this text is to contrast and compare what Jesus did and what Adam did. Adam failed in the garden, but Jesus succeeded in the wilderness on behalf of those who, like Adam, could not and did not overcome temptation. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says this, In Adam all sin. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Through Adam, death was brought into the world, but through Christ, we're brought into life. Now, second reason why we're supposed to consider this text in this way, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. In the wilderness for 40 days. Now, this mirrors what happened to Israel in the book of Numbers and Exodus. In Numbers 14.34, we're told that Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness disobeying God. Israel, the people of God. In the Old Testament, Israel is also referred to as the son of God because they are the people of God. Jesus would succeed where Israel failed. They spent 40 years in the wilderness disobeying God. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness obeying God. And friends, I want to submit to you and it's only when we internalize this reality and truth that Jesus overcame temptation on behalf of those who haven't overcome temptation, people like you and me, when we internalize that and when we act on that, that's how we overcome temptation. That is how we don't give in so freely to our impulses, and that is how we can live truly free. So let's look at this passage in three parts. Explaining temptation, unmasking temptation, and overcoming temptation. Come with me to verse 2. Now, verse 2 tells us that for 40 days, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And then in verse 3 to 12, Luke expounds for us three different accounts of temptation. So there was an entire 40-year period where Jesus was tempted. And then here we are presented with three different temptations. This either means that these three temptations are the last three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, or that these three temptations are characteristic of all the temptations that Jesus faced 
in those 40 days. Now, if you look at the different areas, they're actually very common. Jesus was tempted in the area of provision. Look at verses 3 and 4. In the area of power, verses 5 to 8. And in the area of protection, in verses 9 to 12. Now, think about it, friends. None of these things are actually illegitimate or bad things. Of course, Jesus needs provision. He needs food. Of course, he should have power. He's the Son of God. And of course, God has promised to protect him. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves for us. Of course, we need food and drink and material uh, things. Of course, we need power and influence to an extent. And of course, God has promised to protect us. So none of these things are bad in and of themselves. The things themselves are not bad. The temptation of Satan came with just how these things are obtained. Not the thing itself, but how the things are obtained. So look at provision in verse 3. The devil says to Jesus, command this stone to become bread. Now friends, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. He also has the power to turn stone to bread. So why shouldn't Jesus do it? Why shouldn't he just turn stone to bread and satisfy his hunger, satisfy the need that he has? Well, the answer to that question comes in verse 4 in Jesus' response to Satan. Come with me to verse 4. In verse 4, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament law. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 in response to Satan. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, if you read the rest of Deuteronomy 8, you'll see that God had promised that he would provide for Israel in the wilderness. He says, I will provide all of your needs. And God gave Israel manna, a bread from heaven. We can see that in Exodus 16. They did not have to produce bread or grasp for it. They merely had to trust him and receive that bread from heaven. Luke 4.1 says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was God's will for Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness. As Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, by God himself, he would have received a similar promise from God. You're being tempted, you're being tried in the wilderness, but I will provide for you. You merely need to trust me and wait for me to provide for food. Now, if Jesus had turned bread, stone into bread by his power, what he would have been doing is disregarding the promises of God. He would be grasping something that God had already promised for him. So to Jesus, trusting God to provide was far more important than getting fed immediately. How about in the area of power? Well, in verses 5 to 7, the devil shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world and says to Jesus, to you I will give all this authority and their glory if you will worship me. There's a dual temptation here. The first temptation is Satan asking Jesus to worship him rather than worshiping God. The second temptation is a temptation for Jesus to bypass the cross on the way to glory. You see, friends, God had already promised Jesus that he would have power and he would have glory. But that power and that glory would come through the road of suffering and death before resurrection. Why is that, friends? You see, friends, 
the kind of power and the kind of glory that God has promised to Jesus is not a selfish, self-serving kind of power and a glory. It's a self-giving glory. It's a glory that looks to the needs of others. You see, friends, through his death and resurrection, Jesus brings many sons and daughters with him to glory. People whose testimonies you've heard this very morning, that is the path to true glory. So that is the temptation that Satan presents to Jesus. Worship me. and You don't need to worry about these dirty, rotten sinners and suffering, the cross, the kind of thing. You can have glory and you can have power right now. But that would be a self-serving rather than self-giving glory. Now, Jesus responds to Satan in verse 8. Once again, he quotes from the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus knows that placing God in his rightful place through worship was more important than gaining glory for himself. Protection. Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and says to him in verse 9, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. In Luke chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, Satan even quotes the Bible. He quotes from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do not be fooled, friends. Not everybody who can quote the scriptures to you is bringing the totality of the truth of God's word to you. Even Satan can quote the Holy Scriptures in his attempt to tempt Jesus away from God. What is Satan asking Jesus to do? Satan is asking Jesus to test God's promise. Yes, God has made these promises to you, but are you sure he's going to come through for you? Satan is asking Jesus to create an unnecessary situation to force God's hand. Do this so that God will have no choice but to come through and help you. How does Jesus respond? Well, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 in Luke 4.12. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus will not test God. Jesus will not place God in a situation where his hand is forced because that is not trust. That is not faith. That is manipulation. Instead, Jesus will not test God, but he will trust the trustworthiness of God. Friends, do you realize that the way Satan tempts is how he tempts you? He tempts you to legitimate things, not illegitimate or bad things, good things. Provision, power, protection. But he tempts you to gain hold of these things through self-serving means that ignore God and ultimately are selfish and self-destroying. Christopher Watkin, uh, he's a philosopher in French studies. We've been working our way through a book called Biblical Critical Theory and how Christians can think about different issues that we are confronted with. And just at the most basic, as Christians think through different issues, we should not be governed by the legalistic question, what can we get away with? 
we should be governed by the deeply biblical question, how can we best glorify God, love Him, and love our neighbor? You see, friends, when temptation comes your way, they might be good things, but they are good things obtained in the wrong way. There are good things obtained without glorifying God, without loving Him, and friends, without loving our neighbor. Self-serving and selfish and ultimately self-destructive. That is the end of the temptations that come our way. If we simply give in to our impulses, we're ceding away our freedom and we're doing things, good things even, in a way that doesn't glorify God doesn't love him, doesn't love our neighbor, and is ultimately self-destructive. Our friends, we've explained temptation, but we need to go one step further to unmask that temptation. What's the lie underneath these temptations? Well, friends, look at verse 3. Satan says, command the stone to become bread. Look at verse 6 and 7. I will give all this authority to you. Worship me. It will all be yours. Verse 9. Throw yourself down from here. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. If you think about it, at its most basic, Satan is calling into question two things. God's presence with Jesus and God's care for Jesus. He wants Jesus to believe that God isn't there, God not there for him, and that he doesn't really care for him. Command the stone to become bread. You think God will really provide for you? He thinks he's really there for you and he cares for you? You have the power. Just, just make the bread yourself. God doesn't care. He's not there. I will give you the authority. Just worship me. God isn't there. He doesn't really care. Throw yourself down. Come on. You think God really is there for you? Test him and see. Test him and see. Satan wants Jesus to believe the lie that God isn't really there. And that God doesn't care. And friends, that's the same lie underneath Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam and Eve, you can have everything in this garden except of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does Satan do in Genesis 3.1? Satan says to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? And in verses 4 and 5, you shall not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Do you see what he's saying? God doesn't really care for you and God isn't really there for you. You need to take things into your own hands. And Adam and Eve believed that lie and plunged themselves and this entire world, all of us, into darkness. And friends, that's the same lie that we believe when we fall into temptation, even for a moment. When we stop believing that God is truly there for us and that he truly cares for us, we give in to our impulses and we cede our freedom away. Think about it, friends. Why do we give in to lust? Well, because for a moment, we've stopped believing that God is there and that God cares for our deepest longings, that God has a true and beautiful way for us to meet those longings and that the constraints he places in our lives are not to oppress us but to protect us and to maximize 
our joy. The moment we forget or stop believing that God is truly there and that God cares, that's when we give in to illegitimate and harmful ways of self-gratification that ultimately leave us empty and ultimately self is ultimately self-destructive. Why do we get angry? And why do we get anxious? Well, because for a moment, we've stopped believing that God is there and that God cares for every detail of our lives. That God is orchestrating all things for our good, including the delays, the detours, and the disappointments in our lives. And so, because we've stopped believing that God is there and that God cares, we fret, we rage, we pout, we complain when things don't go our way. Why do we procrastinate? Why do we numb ourselves in mindless consumption of social media or intoxicate ourselves with all manner of intoxicants? Well, friends, because for a moment, we've stopped believing that God is there and that God cares for us even in the mundane and painful moments of our lives. So instead of learning what God is teaching us in that mundane moment or through that pain, we see the need to numb ourselves. We see the need to distract ourselves. We see the need to push ourselves away from all that is unpleasant rather than allowing all that is unpleasant to shape us into who God wants us to be. Friends, every time we fall into temptation, at the heart of it, we've believed the devil's lie that God isn't there for you and that God doesn't care for you. That is at the root of everything that is wrong. Whenever we give in to our impulses, we cede our freedom away and we fail to overcome temptation. So friends, now that we've explained it and masked temptation, how can we then go on to overcome temptation? Let's look to Jesus. How did Jesus overcome? Well, it's true. He used God's word. He knew the Holy Scriptures. He quoted from Deuteronomy, from God's law. But why did Jesus quote Holy Scripture? Jesus quoted Holy Scripture because Scripture reveals God's heart for him and God's heart for us. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Man shall not live by bread alone. God is there, the word says, and God does care. He cares comprehensively for us, and he provides both comprehensively and legitimately for every need in our lives. He provides physically, emotionally, and spiritually for us. We can trust. He is a good and kind God that will provide. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from his mouth. Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God is there, and God does care. And the path to self-giving rather than self-serving power is to worship and serve the self-giving God. Any other kind of power will be abusive, will be selfish. But when you serve a God who is almighty, but in his might he has given himself for our sake, that is how power can become safe in your hands. Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. God is there. And God does care. And there is simply no need for you to put him in a situation where you need to force 
his hand because that doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do God any good. You simply can trust him at his word because he really does care for you and he really is there. Friends, to the degree that you internalize and act on the truth that God is there and that he cares, that is the degree to which you will overcome temptation, not simply give in to your impulses and live truly free. Dane Ortland puts it this way in his book, Deeper. Your growth in Christ will go no further than your settledness, way deep down in your heart that God loves you you, that he has pulled you to his own deepest heart. His affection for his own never wanes, never sours, never cools. Every heart-stabbing poem, every story of rescue, every novel that evokes longings are all an echo of the love behind all of human history. That, friends, is the key to overcoming temptation, to truly believe internalize in our hearts that God truly is there and that God truly cares. As we draw to a close, some of you may be asking, but how do I know? How do I know that God is really there and that he really cares? Well, come with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 13. That's the last verse in our passage. It says, When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus has overcome temptation. Hallelujah. The devil leaves him. But something very ominous is taking place here in verse 13 because it says, until an opportune time. Satan leaves Jesus now, but he will come back again to attack Jesus over and over again. And Satan's final attack on Jesus as he lived on earth leads to his arrest, his suffering, and his dying on the cross for sinners like you and me. Friends, why would the one who overcame temptation need to die? Because, friends, once again, we're reminded that the one who overcame temptation died in the place of those who haven't overcome temptation, of those who didn't overcome temptation, over people like you and over people like me. You see, God knows you through and through. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hearts. He knows your longings. He knows what you've given yourself to. He knows what you're giving yourself to even now in your thoughts. And yet, this God who truly knows you, overcame temptation on your behalf and died in the place of you to win forgiveness, to win love, and to win a place for you in God's heart. How do you know, friends, that God is truly there for you and that God truly cares? You look at your own temptations and you see that Jesus has paid for your sin in spite of your temptations. And when you internalize this truth, that God really does love you in his deepest heart, that he really is for you and for your good, 
that is the place that you will begin to see victory in overcoming sin, in overcoming temptation, in not simply giving in to your impulses and to truly living free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have come to us in your word. And I really pray that you would take this truth and press it deep into our hearts as we respond in song. I pray that this would not just be knowledge that fleets in our minds, but a truth that burns in our hearts. A simple truth that you are there for us and that you care for us. Let that change everything about us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.